0: I just wanted to say thank you. This is the first time that I've been able to be in front of so many of y'all, and uh, Lauren and I have just been so blessed in our time here, and Over the past three weeks, it has been a whirlwind uh, of a move, but as a church family, thank you for welcoming us and loving us and treating us like family so quickly, and uh, we look forward to ministry here at Mandarin and what God has in store, and we are expectant of what God is going to be doing here in this faith family, and we are excited to partner with y'all in the coming years as we see uh, God at work here in the Mandarin area. And so, we're going to be in Matthew 20, and we are in this inverted series, this this series on the inverted life. And uh, we have a definition that we've been going with uh, for the word inverted. And for many of y'all, y'all have been on spring break, we've had a lot of people in and out, so I thought it'd be good to hit the definition of inverted. And it is, to turn inside out or upside down, to reverse the position, order or condition of, turned over completely. And this series really began, kind of out of um, this insanity of obedience, and this movie that many of the church family watched, and this Bible study that so many in this church are a part of, and this this craziness um, of following Jesus, and how the life of a Jesus follower um, looks so crazy inverted to the world around. And we we've looked at missionaries who in, in persecuted countries, and we've been able to see. Um, and so many of us saw in the movie uh, how God is at work in the nations and how many believers are living just radical um, and committed lives following after Jesus. And so, as, I, as Mark asked me to preach, and I began thinking about this inverted life, I began thinking about this inverted life. And about nine months ago, I had the privilege of, of sitting with this 12 year old boy. His name's Caleb. And uh he serves in a closed country um in the ten forty window and and sitting with this twelve year old his name's his name's Caleb. I learned so much, and I was going to to spend time with him and I was supposed to be teaching him um but this twelve year old boy I felt like I was sitting at the feet of a spiritual giant and learning about how his family um had endured persecution, how they were not sure about what was next for them and as I began think of the thinking of the inverted life, Caleb's story um, began coming back to me, and I began thinking about how as a 12-year-old boy being called to the mission field, his parents were called, and I don't know about y'all, but when you get dragged around as a kid, um, moving around a little bit, it creates some bitterness. Um, I was a a little bitter growing up. I moved a good bit, um, especially when I was younger, Um, but here Caleb had been called, um, him and his parents, to serve in a closed country where they were facing danger, faced so many incredible things. And and Caleb, like any kid, was frustrated that he wasn't with his friends in America. Um, But but he began talking about how God was using him and how he was willing to go even though it was difficult. Uh, Here, this 12-year-old boy was saying, You know what? Yes, it's a challenge where I'm at. But God is so much greater, and this is where I'm supposed to be. And he began sharing his heart and his burden for the people group that he was reaching and, and sharing what God was doing through his family as they were planning churches and through him as he was having conversations with kids about Christ. And uh, this passage of Scripture is actually something that I was going to teach him and a group of other kids about Um, but through this passage, Caleb and these other students end up teaching me so much more of what it looks like to have an inverted life, to be flipped upside down, to be opposite of what's expected. And so, uh, if you would look with me in Matthew 20, and we're going to start in verses 20, and we're going to read through 28. It says this, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, this is James and John, came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, She asked him something and he said to her, what do you want? And she said to him, say that these two sons of mine are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, you do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I'm to drink? And they said, we are able. And he said to them, you will drink my cup, but to sit at the right hand and my left is not mine to grant but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard of it, they became became indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise great authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever will be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you Must be like your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Let's pray real quick. Father God, we pray as we approach your word today, we wouldn't just read it and gloss over, but we would read it and allow your Holy Spirit to work in our hearts and our minds. And I pray that your word would convict us. Your word would convict us, not that we would feel bad, that we would be changed, that you would make our life look more like, like you want it to be, God. God, I pray over our time together, um, I pray that you, your spirit would be in this place, and that we would learn from you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So, mother of James and John approaches Jesus and and begins to ask this question if her sons can sit at the right hand and left of God. and I think it's interesting, this isn't a biblical point here, but I think it's to note, especially for you you students sitting here uh, in front of me, if you have something important to ask, don't have your mom do it. Ask yourself. Um, I read stuff like this, and I giggle, and I laugh to myself, and probably some people just think I'm weird. But I, I see God has a sense of humor here when he inspired Matthew to write this. And he includes this because it's like, you know, if you got something important, ask yourself. Don't have your mom do it. But anyways, we see in this passage of Scripture, we see uh, the mother of James and John, and James and John are with her, and they're asking for a position of authority. They're asking for power. Um, what any of us might want, I think all of us would aspire to be in positions of authority or positions of power, and Jesus then gives this inverted view of what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but also what does it mean to be great? And greatness isn't having the position in power. Greatness is defined as being a servant, even being a slave. I don't know how many of us aspire to be that, but here Jesus is talking about greatness. The inverted view of greatness in the kingdom of God is not power and authority, but it is being a servant to those around us. And we see the point of this passage is the inverted life calls us to reevaluate what is important in this life as we radically follow after Christ. The inverted life isn't what we would expect it to be, it's not what we might desire, but it's what God desires and calls us to be. He's calling us for something greater. Not that we would follow after what's to be expected, but that we would strive for something that is, that is different, that is opposite of the world around us. And so we see, uh, we see in the beginning of this, James and John, they're asking, their mom is asking, hey, let my sons be great. Let my sons have power. I think any parent would say, I would want my son or daughter to be successful. I think this is a natural thing to wish for. But as we've seen in this uh, insanity of obedience, insanity of God uh, th- series that we've many of you all been doing in Bible study, and that we've seen uh, in the movie that many of us watched, and we see in this passage, and we see this is our first point where we're going to camp out the majority of our time, that Jesus has an inverted view of obedience. And we see this in two different ways. Uh, we see this in what he demands. Of, of James and John, but we also see this in his life and that he references here. But in verses 22 and 23, uh, Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking for. You don't know what you're asking for. And he asked them, are you able to drink of the cup that's prepared for them? And what they don't understand at this point is that Jesus was approaching the cross and that Jesus as the Son of God was about to, to take on the, the penalty of our sin and die on a cross and uh, ultimately rise again. The disciples, even though Jesus had been telling them about this, they didn't quite understand it at this point. And Jesus is talking about uh, the obedience that he was following the Father. In verses 23, uh, it talks about how the Father is the one who can grant that. The Father is the one that can grant, who can sit at the right and the left. And I think it's interesting that Jesus, who who willingly stepped out of his place of authority, as it says on Philippians chapter 2, willingly stepped out of his place of authority and was willing to be obedient to the Father. Isn't that a message for us right there? That the Son of God, Jesus, who was there at creation, who holds everything in his hand, willingly said, you know what, I'm going to give authority to the Father and follow his plan in this moment. I think that's huge for us. And so many times we, uh, we think we have control. and We think we know what's best. And even in this moment, Jesus willingly submitted to the authority of the Father wow, that's huge. That, that's that's mind-blowing that that Jesus would do that. And I know if, if I was in that position, I would struggle doing that. I would struggle handing over that authority. But also, he talks to, to James and John, who say they're willing to accept the, the cup that's prepared, but they, in this moment, don't know what God has prepared for them. It's kind of foolish, their response. And they're like, yeah, we're ready. We can do this. And Little did they know that James would, would give his life for the gospel and John would spend much of his life being persecuted and in exile and end his life alone all for the sake of the kingdom. And this, In this passage, we see uh, Jesus calling the disciples to more than what they're expecting. James and John didn't realize what they would be going into, but Jesus was calling them to something more. And in church, God is calling us to something more in this idea of being obedient to God, this insanity of obedience, this inverted life. God is calling us to more than just being at church on Sundays and being involved in a small group. He's calling us to be all in, to put all of our chips on the table and slide them in and say, God, I'm all in on this. Obedience doesn't look halfway. And James and John, even though here their their motives are wrong, they would come to realize what Christ had done for them, and they would eventually put their chips all in the table and say, I'm all in. And my question is, as our inverted view of obedience, do we have this view of obedience where we're all in or are we halfway in? As As I sit here and think about James and John, and this question um, that they had, this question just keeps coming to mind, that that they weren't sure what they were getting into at this point. You know, they knew who Jesus was. They knew that he did all these really cool miracles and they liked following him and that it was cool to be a part of what God was doing. But in this moment in time, they weren't sure what God was going to call them to, where he was leading them. And I think so much of our our Christian walk is like that and that we're not really sure where God is going to lead us. And and this idea of inverted view of obedience is willing and able to say, God, wherever that might be, whatever that thing might be, I'm willing to say yes. I'm willing to say yes. It doesn't always look like going around the world. This inverted view of obedience means being obedient also where we're at. You know, this crazy radical idea of being obedient to God, whatever the cost might be, might be simply walking across the street and telling your neighbor who you've been burning for about the gift of Jesus Christ. It could be uh, loving on that difficult coworker who is annoying and gets you frustrated and you can't stand being right. It could be simply loving them and being nice to them. This inverted view of obedience is the opposite of the world and so many times we go through our life and we go through this Christian walk just trying to blend in. Just trying to blend in with the world and not try to shake things up. But here, this, this call to obedience is so much more in that it, it shakes completely opposite of what our natural desires are for. And as we'll see here in a minute, Jesus doesn't call us to to, to go and, and to gain authority and power for ourselves, but he wants us to go and serve And be less than. Why? For the sake of the kingdom. And so, this idea of obedience, the inverted life begins with walking in obedience. Walking in obedience in the everyday life. Saying yes to Jesus. Saying yes to Him where He has you in this time and place. And being willing to leverage all that we have for the kingdom. As we walk in obedience, Are we doing that? Are we walking in obedience where we're at? Are we desperately seeking seeking after him? It's a tough question. It's a tough question as we grapple with, you know, am I truly following after him? Am I truly uh, living an obedient life? My favorite theologian is a guy by the name of Diedrich Bonhoeffer, um, and I fell in love with him in college. And in one of his books, he, he says this quote, and uh, is one of the most like, earth-shattering books i ever read. And part of the reason why is because this was a man who um, leveraged everything to be simply obedient. And he continually said, yes, yes, yes. And he says this about obedience. He says, when God calls a man, he calls him to bits and die. When he calls a man, he calls him to die to himself and completely leverage everything for the gospel. And as believers here in Mandarin, Florida, when we follow after God, when we say yes to God, are we we dying to ourselves? Are we leveraging everything that we have, both physically, emotionally, uh, maybe even the things that we have? Are we leveraging those things for the gospel? Jesus calls us to leverage all that we have. The second thing that we see here is we see uh, this inverted view of success, and and I think is for, for parents in the room and and everyone in this room, really, we would all say we want what's best for our sons and daughters. We want what's best for ourselves. I think it's a natural, uh, natural feeling. We all uh, want what's best for our family members and everyone around us, and so it's it's really easy to make fun of James and John's mother here, but really she's just doing what any mother would naturally do. She, she's looking out for her sons, and she realizes that this Jesus guy is someone very special in that, that she wants her sons to be a part of that. And what Jesus does in verse 25 and 27 is he inverts the view of what success looks like for the believer, if you would look at, look with me, uh, in, at verse twenty five again. But Jesus called to them, and yeah. but Jesus called to them, and he said, "You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them." Let's stop there for a second. The Gentiles, the Romans ruled very harshly with the Jewish people creating animosity creating frustration anytime there's injustice uh, i think we get really frustrated with with those who maybe are causing the injustice and so for the disciples it would be really easy for them to desire Uh, to get rid of the Romans, to get rid of these Gentiles who have taken advantage of them, who have mistreated them in so many different ways. And so Jesus is using these Gentiles as an example of what it looks like to lord over. And what many of us would really view as success, because they were successful. They had the things that they needed. They exercised authority over people. But then Jesus gives a different definition of what? success is he's like no your idea of success is not like them in this it's success is this in verse 26 it says it shall not be so among you but whoever would be great among you must first be a servant and whoever will be first among you must be your slave this is these are challenging words right here these are words that none of us like to hear because let's be real all of us like us a lot All of us like us a whole lot. You know, I'm an only child, and I have some only child tendencies. Um, If you ask Lauren, my lovely wife, uh, she can tell you many of those tendencies. But one of those tendencies is anytime Christmas rolls around, uh, I love making Christmas lists. And the reason is, is as an only child, my mother would go ridiculous and buy all sorts of gifts and stuff. And and Lauren, our first year of marriage, um, she we did not have a lot of money. And she came and she's like, Matt, what do you want for Christmas? And, uh, I may or may not have filled up like a front page of a legal pad of all the things I wanted. And, uh, she was like, Matt, you know how much money we make. We can't do that. And I was like, sorry, I have a problem. Um, I do, I do. Um, it's the only child coming out within me, but, We love ourselves a whole lot. It could be the things that we have. We could love talking about ourselves. We could love what we do. Um, There's so many different things that, but when we think about our world and our lives typically revolve around us to some extent. And Jesus here is saying, no. I'm calling you to something more. I'm calling you to something deeper. I'm calling you to something deeper than the success that the world might tell you is good, I'm calling you to something so much more than that. And it's to serve those. It's to be a slave to those around you. And we hear that term, and it makes us makes us stop and think you know, am I being a servant? Am I being a slave to those around me? Am I being a slave to Jesus Christ? That's a word that has a lot of baggage with it, but Jesus is calling us to, for, to complete obedience, complete surrender. In saying, you know what, Matthew doesn't exist anymore, but I'm simply a follower of Jesus Christ. And as we think about success in God's eyes, as we think about success in the world, being successful as a believer in Jesus Christ becomes very different than what the world tells us. The world tells us we have to, we have to have stuff. We have to have authority. We have to have the right job. Our kids have to be at the right school. We have to do these right things. But Jesus tells us success right here, and that success is that we should be a servant, we should be a slave to those around us, that we should be so sold into, so bought into following after Jesus Christ, we are a servant to those around us. I simply wrote this note as I was thinking over this passage this week, and it, and I thought this, it says success is not being in control, but leading through serving. So many times, We want to be in control of our life. And we talked about this a little bit in one of our small groups this morning. Um, But being in control is not where God wants us. God wants us to be trusting in him. And so many times when we're in control, we end up start trusting ourselves and relying on ourselves and start thinking, I'm successful, I'm this, I'm that. But really where God wants us is right on that line of trusting him in everything that we do. And the beginning of that is looking at this world and saying, I don't want success in the world's eyes. I want to be a successful follower of Jesus Christ. The third thing we see in verse 28 as we wrap up is this. And this verse is probably a verse that so many of us have heard many, many times. And it says this, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. I was in a uh, leadership minor in my undergrad, and I got to sit under the direction of a very godly dude. His name is Dr. Klein, and um, he he basically used the whole minor um, at Troy University to to really teach this principle. And even though it was a secular university, he would begin infusing the gospel uh, into that. And so many times we read this verse and we think of just leadership principles, and we think of of what, what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to serve. Jesus came to serve, so we're supposed to follow his example and serve. But really, Jesus then, here gives us just the picture of the inverted view of one's life as a follower of Jesus. That as a follower of Jesus, we our lives are completely flipped over and changed, our perspectives are changed. And that Jesus, following his example... He had every right to come in authority and to be served and to make his own kingdom about himself, and yet Jesus came and died on a cross so that you and I might be made right with God, and so that even in our sin, even in our wretchedness, God would make us right through the gift of Jesus Christ, through his death, burial, and resurrection, and it blows my mind as we begin thinking about that, because if it were me, I would not have done that. But Jesus gives us the inverted view of, of a believer's life and that we are supposed to lay everything on the line for, for those around us so that they might know the gospel because Jesus has done it for us. Jesus has done it for us and I begin thinking of other examples of this laying everything on the line and I think of of Paul in Romans 9 and the first 8 chapters he Paul writes this beautiful just theological masterpiece about what salvation is and how we are adopted sons and daughters of the king the adopted sons and daughters of God and then he goes into chapter 9 where he talks about the sovereignty of God. But in the first three verses, he talks about how he's broken for the people, the Israelite people who don't know, him, who don't know God. And he says that he wishes uh, in a sense that he could give up his salvation so that his brothers and sisters would know Christ. That's a bold statement right there. That's a bold statement that Paul is saying, I wish I could give up everything, including what is most precious to me, which is my relationship with God. He's saying, I wish I could give that up so that they might know who Jesus is. That's an all-in type of perspective. That's an all-in way of thinking Jesus here it gives us the example of that, that as believers in Jesus Christ, as followers, we should be looking to, to write a blank check, so to speak, with our lives. When I was in middle school, I was terrible about like telling my parents how much things cost. I'd be like, oh, Mom, I need to go buy a yearbook. And she'd say, how much is it? I'd say, I have no clue. And then I'd get in trouble. But what would happen was... Pay attention, Matt. Gosh, I'm sorry. Um, that's, what, that's how the conversation usually went. But I don't know why my mother did this. Um, it was against my father's intentions and direction, but she would give me a blank check. And giving a blank check in the hands of a 7th grade boy is extremely dangerous. Um, and I had no clue at the time what that meant. I had no clue what my mother meant signing the bottom of that check and handing it to me as a 7th grade boy meant, and uh, one time I lost it. And it was frantic, searching in the Dobson house. Thankfully we found it, I'm still alive, that's the proof we found it. Um, but when we give a blank check, we don't write a whole lot of checks these days, but when we give a blank check, we're basically giving someone access to everything in our bank account. You could go and write as many zeros as you want. If you did that for me, it would bounce. But but a blank check is a dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing because you could lose everything. Here, Jesus is calling James and John and the other disciples to simply write a blank check with their life. As they serve those around those, as they, as they, as they, as they think of themselves as slaves for the sake of the gospel, he's asking them to write a blank check with their lives. And saying, whatever I call you to, let me fill that in for you. But go ahead and sign your name right here. And that's the picture of obedience in the inverted life. In that we are writing God a blank check with our lives and saying, God, whatever you might call me to do, God, I'm willing to go. Whatever you might fill in the blank there, God, I might not have it, but I'm willing to give you everything. And the beautiful thing is God is in the business of using people who aren't perfect. And he does that so that he can be glorified and that he can be the one who's at work in the life of us and using us for the sake of his kingdom. And so the question comes, the question must be asked, am I writing a blank check with my life? Have I really said, God, I surrender everything at your feet and wherever you might call, whatever you might call me to do, whatever you might call me to give up, Father, I'm willing to do that. And so as we walk out of here this morning, as we begin to to go back into everyday life, three kind of application questions come to mind. Some of us in this room might need to reevaluate our obedience. We might need to say, God, am I being obedient to what you've called me to do? Am I being obedient as a husband and wife following Jesus Christ? Am I sharing about what you've done? Am I investing in my children? Am I investing in my coworkers? Am I giving extravagantly for the kingdom of God in my time, in my effort, and in my energy? Or am I just kind of going through? Maybe some of us need to repent of our self-focus. Maybe some of us are like James and John's mother here, and we're so focused on Uh, being on the right team or looking right or being successful in the world's eyes, maybe we need to repent of our view of success and we need to ask God to, to help our hearts and our minds line up with his view of success. And then I think everyone, including myself, in this room need to ask the question, finally, will I allow God to fill out the check of my life? Will I allow God to to fill out the check? Will I give him a blank check and say, God, I'm cashing in everything that I am and all that I am in you and I'm gonna allow you to write my story. I'm going to allow you to fill out whatever that might be, God. I'm willing to go. I'm willing to stay. I'm willing to give. I'm willing to serve. I'm willing to do whatever it is you would call me. Why? Because I'm not my own. I'm a servant and a slave of the Most High King. And I'm willing to go and follow in after you because, God, you're worth it. You're worth it because of what you've done in my life. And you've made me right before a holy God. And I'm able to have a relationship with you. Uh, Church, as the band comes up here to to close in, in this last song, the altars open, the altars open, these, these stairs are open. Maybe some of us need to repent of our views and maybe some of us need to say, God, I'm not sure what you're calling me to, but God, here, here it is, here it is. We'll have some staff down here. If, if you need to talk to a staff member about maybe what God is stirring in your life, Uh, Father God, let's pray. Let's pray to God real quick. Father God, we we thank you so much uh, for the gift of your son. God, we thank you for for how you you work in our lives, God. But Father, I pray that as a church, that we would be willing, we would be willing to write you a blank check with our lives what it would look like if if Mandarin Baptist Church, if every member, if every person in this room would say, God, I'm going to allow you to write the check. I'm going to allow you to write the story in my life, Father. Wow, how you could use us in the kingdom of God. God, I pray that we would follow you in radical obedience. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.